0: Hi everyone, I'm Tamana from WhatFix and I hope you are really enjoying these knowledge-packed episodes of the Digital Adoption Show Season 2. These episodes are coming out so well just because of the love and the reviews that you guys have shared with us. In Season 2, Episode 14, we have a special guest, Stella Collins, who is the co-founder and CLO of Stella Labs along with Ajay Kumar, who is the VP Pre-Sales at WhatFix. And you must listen to this episode because this episode has a lot of knowledge around the power of doing with neuroscience. And I'm sure you're going to love it because I personally liked it a lot.
1: My name is Ajay and I'm your host for the day for this uh, podcast on Learn the Power of Doing with uh, Neuroscience. Now, what exactly do with neuroscience is something that we'll discuss with Stella Collins. I have Stella Collins with me, who has uh, written a critically acclaimed book on neurosciences for learning and development. But before that, allow me to introduce myself. Uh, As I said, my name is Ajay, and I've been working in IT industry for the last about 22, 23 years, mostly on the business application side. My job has been to to train people on business applications, to implement business applications, and and to also do solutioning for large set of customers on business applications. I have uh, with me Stella as I said today, and I will request Stella to introduce herself.
2: Hello. Nice to be here with you today, AJ. I'm Stella Collins. I'm Chief Learning Officer and co-founder of Stella Labs. We're a, a learning specialist company, and we're currently building a platform that is um, AI-enabled, fueled by neuroscience, and its mission is to to beat the upskilling gap and make sure that everybody kind of has the skills they need for the future. All right.
1: Great. Thank you, Stella, for the introduction. I'll straight away put you in the hot seat and start asking you some questions that I'm sure our listeners would really love to hear the answers uh, from you. I, when you see your profile for the last 20, 25 years, uh, Stella, you have been… Working in different fields. You have started your career probably in the psychology uh, function, then you moved to IT, then you moved to learning and development, and now you started a company and started a tech uh, solution for learning and development. Great changes in career. How did that happen?
2: <laughs> it's been slightly more than 20 years, too, I better tell you that. <laughs> um, I studied psychology at university and I absolutely loved it. But one of the things we had to do, I think it was in our first, I think I was first or second year at university was we had to do a course on it and at that point i had never even seen a computer before or you know i knew very little about them we had to do a course and we had to i can still remember it we had to make a pro we had to program something so that it could draw a christmas tree and I thought this is so stupid and pointless. I've got much better things to do with my time. Really put off the whole computing world. Went on to do a masters in human communication and did a project on computer aids for people with speech disabilities. And thought this is why we need computers. They're actually really useful for people because they can actually solve real world problems. So then I got interested in IT. Um, at that point in the 1980s, there were a lot of jobs in IT. So I took a job in IT. I was a programmer. I was a coder. I was an analyst. And um, Did a lot of stuff on system support and got really into computing, and then kind of accidentally got a job as training support and uh, training and system support manager. Didn't want to have anything to do with the training because I was now an IT person, but kind of one thing led to another, and I realized that training was psychology again. So, it brought me back to my psychology. So, I had 20 years running my own business in the UK, training people. We use digital technology to help us. And then in the last two and a half years have joined Stella Labs here in Belgium. And that's our, our mission is to, to build some learning tech that really, really works using kind of the psychology and the neuroscience of learning embedded into it.
1: Brilliant. So, I'm sure you would have been able to put a lot of things that you yourself experienced in the tech industry when you moved in and became a learning professional, right? Uh, you been, you've been, probably would have been able to understand exactly what people need on the ground and design something around that. What, what exactly are your thoughts on uh, corporate learning and development platform or uh, and, you know, an entire execution of the learning and development as a function? And the tool that your organization has built, how does that, Tool follow the philosophy that you yourself have developed over the years for learning and development? So,
2: I think um, learning development people on the whole are incredibly helpful. They really want to do a good job. I think they are developing and improving their own skills as they realize that the world is changing. You know, training at work is nowhere near like it used to be. So, I think they're doing that. There's still a lot of work to be done there. So, I think we need to get much better at being able to show impact and return on investment. We get a little bit involved in, doesn't the training look good? Don't we feel good? Do the learners feel good? But actually, have they actually changed their behaviour at work? And not all the time has that happened. So, that's really important. I think we need to be more credible and professional. It's very easy. You can just become a trainer. Nobody ever asks you, have you got a qualification? Or you can do it without a qualification. So, I think Not necessarily needing more qualifications, but I think we need to be more professional about it. And I think that's where having an understanding of the science of learning can add to that credibility and professionalism. We need to be much more connected into the business because... Gone are the days when learning and development kind of sat in an ivory tower and could create content and just hope that people wanted it or create courses and just hope that people would choose them, which did used to happen. Um, We need to be part of the business. And I think we need to involve the business much more in the whole concept of supporting people. I mean, learning is all about performance, really. It's about can people do their jobs more effectively, better with with more joy. Um, And I think that that's where we need to be is how can we how can we facilitate that to happen within the organization without it necessarily having to be us that has you know control and 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 influence over it all the time so i think that's really good and we need to stop wasting time on things that don't work so we need to make sure we're focusing on things that that do work and then you did ask me a question how does our platform do that that was a very good question (laughs) um because we've built our platform really thinking about what is you know how does learning really happen for people, you know people first of all need to be motivated. So our platform is is built with nudges built into it so people feel motivated. Learning is a journey across time, so we're not just coming along and going here's you know here's some content here's an event hey presto you've you've got it. We support people through a learning process which involves some information, some guidance but also people need to then, you know, kind of experiment with that to test and feel comfortable with it. They need to practice and our platform supports them in practice and it supports them getting feedback from managers or peers to say, well, actually you practice practiced that thing and actually you look like you're doing pretty well, you know, you're actually implementing those skills in the workplace. And this kind of idea of, of transferring learning, you know, from The training classroom into the workplace. So a lot of what our platform does is it nudges people at work to practice their new skills, get feedback on their new skills, and to keep developing those new skills. So it stretches things over time, and then it's very much designed with you know a really smart algorithm to actually support people both with um, retention of knowledge, but the retention of skills. So kind of spaced practice is is part of what's built into it.
1: Okay. So let me let me let me get this straight. If I understand it correctly. Number one is experiment. Experiment with different ideas. Experiment with probably different ways of delivering trainings.
2: Number one, AJ, is actually get motivated first. (laughs) Yes, of course. Have people motivated because they unless they're motivated and they have to be kept motivated through that process because learning, you know, there are times in learning when you can feel really frustrated. I spoke to somebody yesterday and she said, I'm so stuck. Um, I've been learning. I'm living in the Netherlands. I'm living in Belgium, so we're learning Dutch. I'm so stuck because I'm not learning anything new. Now, she is, but she's kind of reached a plateau. So, she's right now feeling frustrated. So, she needs something to keep her going to get her through to that next part of the journey. So, motivation is always, for me, one of the first things to think about.
1: Absolutely. Completely agree with you. So, motivation, experimentation. yeah, Ensure that it is outcome-based. It is not just another activity or task that you're delivering. It is outcome-based and the outcome should be measurable. And, of course, as usual, have fun while doing it.
2: Indeed. It should be enjoyable. Yes, it should, so be, is, you is, should it, feel like you're making progress.
1: Is this what your book also talks about? Can, can, you, can you tell me something about
2: it? Indeed. So, yeah, so the book is, you know, it's it's kind of a lot. Of the reason I uh, have this new role two and a half years in now is because my co-founder discovered me by reading my book. And my book is about the science of learning. So, it is, you know, it's it's heavily scientific. But for me, it's important that how, what does that mean? If we understand how we learn What's the practical application of that? So the book is very practical. It's kind of, this is, you know, if, if this if neuroplasticity is the way we learn, then what does that mean for us in our jobs as L&D, whether we're trainers or designers, whether we're delivering or, or you know, we're kind of supporting learning. What does that mean for us? So it's, it's sci- very science-based, but the science is um, explained in a, a simplish, fairly simple way. It's not to, to, but I kind of lead people on a journey so they, you know, get a bit at the beginning and then they build on it. And, and then it is, it's all about, so what does this mean? What, what, what does this mean we need to do in, in our real jobs of training, whether that's training digitally, whether it's face to face, whether you're designing e learning, it's practical.
1: Brilliant. Let me try to make it slightly more heavy. In the modern enterprise, where do you see the learning and development function sitting? It has traditionally been, at least what I have observed, is a lot of times part of the HR function. Is this where it sits or do you see some something else for the learning and development
2: function? I think it shouldn't sit within HR and that's I, th- I think it traditionally sits in HR because I think both HR and L and D have evolved to be different. And I'm not an HR specialist by any stretch, but I think HR now is very much involved in kind of the experience of being at work. You know, are you getting paid well? Is are your rules and regulations right? Um, it's it's a more transactional process. I think HR. Uh, in the UK, L&D and HR have become far more separate, whereas where I am in Europe, they are more together. But I think what we need to do is to have L&D emerge as, as very much as as a business partner with the business. We should be out talking to the business saying, what do you need? What do you need your people to be able to, to do? And how can we support you in enabling that to happen? And that doesn't mean we necessarily need to teach your people because if they're learning Java or they're learning some kind of cybersecurity coding, we in L and D can't do that, but we can perhaps support the process so that those experts within the business who have the skills and have the knowledge and can teach the next people coming along. How can we support them to do that? So I think we very much need to be embedded as part of the business rather than being a sort of uh, I think I said earlier on a sort of separate ivory tower where we kind of look on it from afar. And, and I think also one of the things we can do is I think you know technical people tend to think that they're technical employees need to have all those technical skills. And they kind of forget that actually they still need to communicate well. They still need to influence or persuade or negotiate. And I think where L&D can come in is to say, well, actually, we can support both sets of skills. We can support those soft skills and the hard skills because they, as they're so-called technical skills, because they actually go together. They fit together very well. So, I think that's that's a, a role where we can kind of influence and persuade people to help them understand the connection between when you're doing a job, you need a whole set of complex skills. It's not just the job skills. You need the other skills that enable you to completely do your job, that more rounded base. So I think that's where we can support there?
1: That's an interesting thought. You said two or three very interesting things. One is uh, learning and development has to be part of the business. The second thing that I just picked up was that you need to have a few non-job related skills to be able to do your job well. (laughs) Uh, And and, and, and I find that that very, very interesting. And you probably have answered most of this, but still want to very specifically ask you, when you say become part of the business, how do you see learning and development becoming Mm -hmm. part of the business and, and, and more importantly, not just influence the people on the field, but how do you also influence better outcome from the people who are in the field through learning and development?
2: I think the first thing we need to do is is to stop taking orders and you hear this a lot in l and d that you know in the past um, you know a, a manager comes to you or a, a team leader or you know an organization head comes to you and says, you know we've got all these people and we think they need to learn X, y, or Z." Time management is a classic. And in the past, we would have said, and I've done this myself, oh, right, okay, we'll we'll write a time management course and we'll deliver that to you. But actually, that's not usually what's required because it's not usually a time management issue. There's usually, you know, there's a management problem or there's a process challenge that's stopping people from getting their jobs done and doing things when they need to do them. So I think we need to be much better at going back to the business and saying, okay, let's understand the situation a bit more. Let's do a bit more analysis as to what's actually going on here. There'll be some elements where, you know, you can change a process or there'll be some elements where uh, you may need to change some people or there'll be some elements where, you know, training will actually help people. And I think we need to get much better at identifying where is training the answer and where is it not the answer. I mean, I'm certainly not the first person to have said this, Um, but I think we need to get better at that. And then really when when organizations or when senior people sort of say, "Okay, so we've understood training is can you just train them in time management or whatever it might be? Well, what do you actually want to see differently? So we need to go back to them and say, well, you tell us the outcomes you're looking for that are going to support your business needs. And we can then train with those in mind. But we need you to be really clear about your business needs and not just have them say, oh, they need to understand X, Y, or Z. No, what do people really need to be able to do in order to fulfil the business needs that you have, so I think that's our first job is to 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 start saying stop saying yes and to start asking more questions.
1: Yeah, probably stop asking how and probably start asking why. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I get that message very clearly, very very strongly. Coach the people who are coachable and don't worry about the rest, right? Uh, probably. But having said that, look, you you're probably transforming your years and years and years of experience of learning and development into technical solutions. So let me ask this. Coming from the technical world myself, businesses are going global, right? Almost every business is going global. You will find companies working in all different geographies, which means users of the business applications within an organization are also widely dispersed. There are multiple cultures, there are multiple ethnic backgrounds, there are multiple languages that come into play. In a situation like this, how do you see tech solving the new challenge that learning and development teams have?
2: That's a really interesting question and and not one where I am an expert by any means but I suspect AI has some solutions in there somewhere <laughs> if we think about the language challenges we we know that uh, you know things like um Deeple and I can't even know what it's called the, the the google translate for instance you know they're getting much more sophisticated there are other I'm quite sure, far more sophisticated programs that can actually translate in, in you know, real time. So, you know, something's written in one language and it can be translated into another. So I suspect that's probably going to be useful. I'm quite curious, actually, because I live here in Belgium and there are three languages that are spoken as um, official languages in Belgium. But actually, the language that almost everybody speaks that they actually communicate through if they're working in a, a certainly a national or an international company is, is English. But I'm very curious because I recognize that that's a very English-centric way of seeing the world. And, you know, in Asia, how does that work? Are people using English as a, a language or is it, you know, are, are we just all going to learn to speak English or are we going to need tools that actually help us translate?
1: So, still so a translation probably is just part of the question that I asked. And, and, and to your point, most of... Most of the Asia Pacific region uses English as a business mm. language, especially the organizations that want to work book. Yeah. You can't you can't escape that. So language becomes a lesser problem. The language the accent or probably, you know, the different ways the language, the same language is spoken probably differently in different parts of the world. That could be one of the challenges, but language per se may not be such a huge issue. The difference is the way people learn, and that is based on the way they have grown up learning, right? So some 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 cultures may be very strict classroom kind of environment a teacher teaching another culture could be here are the videos maybe a third culture does it absolutely different and that's where my question is that when we reach out objective is the same the organization objective with everyone is the same but the way these people are going to absorb what the organization wants to teach is going to be different. and if you have any thoughts on that
2: and that's that's actually a much more interesting question isn't it of course i think in some ways learning actually happens the same in most people's brains at at a very high level. You know, learning is the formation of new networks, new connections, and the ability to, you know, perform new tasks, perform new skills, hold information in your head. And actually, as humans, that's universal. That isn't cultural. So, there is a level at which it's exactly the same. And I think what we can start doing is perhaps educating our organizations and our people that, you know, learning learning is a universal human talent. And how can we build on that most naturally and use more natural ways of training? So, the form of training that, you know, perhaps is, is very formal and we give lectures, it's not a very effective way of training. So, one way of doing it is, I think, to start Educating people. And I think the other way is to start measuring. So, you know, if, if you try it this way, is that as effective as if you try it that way? So maybe some, you know, within one, uh, geographical area or one, one kind of, um, ethnic area, you know, maybe you try two groups and say, well, which one has actually succeeded with learning better? So maybe that's one way to do it. It's actually to use that kind of experimental approach to see what works better. And I think also to, to rely on the fact that learners do kind of or you know people kind of do know how they learn there's a lot of myths around learning but they kind of know when they learn informally they kind of know what works for them and what doesn't work for them so using that approach and giving them choices about you know right now you can do this you can watch a video or you could go and talk to a colleague which would you prefer give them the choice. So, something around choices, education, and experimentation, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think I agree with you. And as you said, human beings are probably tuned to the idea of learning new things right from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, I guess right from the beginning, other than breathe in and breathe out, everything else is an acquired skill. And yes, somehow indeed. we have all picked up those skills. Yes. So there, there, there is an inbuilt mechanism in all human beings, uh, to, to, to be able to learn new things. The only thing one has to figure out is what works best in a given situation. I uh, agree with that. So let's, since, since I go back, went back to the, you know, the starting, uh, or the childhood, let me try to make it a bit lighter. After having spent so much time in the corporate world, right? And it is a tough one. Do you still think that you retain the child in you and, If if yes, what is that one childish thing that you're still like?
2: (laughs) I definitely still have the child in me. And and I absolutely know that because I have a a very, um, a one and a, half-year-old grandson and I don't see him regularly because he's in the UK and I'm in Belgium but as soon as I get to his house or he comes to mine I'm on the floor with him we're playing games uh, I'm pushing cars with him we're playing instruments we're playing make-believe so I think for me playing and, and genuinely playing just for the joy of it is probably the one thing that stuck with me and I love doing it
1: all right, so let's play a few uh, questions, if you will. You know, questions are typically if, uh, a response coming from a child is going to be extremely different as compared to the response coming from an adult. So let's 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 let me ask you a few questions around that. Say you are for whatever way transported to Mars, you're a Martian, okay? And you see this planet called this pale blue dot, and you see a lot of problems. I saw a cartoon recently that say you know the Earth is sort of boiling away, and the Martians think they're warming up to us. So <laughs> how will you, how will how will you look at Earth and how? How will, how will, as a Martian, we'll solve our problems?
2: I actually have quite a strong opinion on this sort of question. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think the Martian should go back to Mars or stay in Mars and sort his own problems out rather than trying to advise everybody else. I think as humans, we have a lot of challenges we need to fix here. And we shouldn't be looking at, you know, what, what are we going to do in Mars? What are we going to do somewhere else? We should work, start here. So, I'd actually suggest to the Martian he just stayed home and worked on his own challenges.
1: <laughs> solve your own problems once. <laughs> yes. It's like it's like that t-shirt, you know? Dear Mats, grow up and solve your own problems. Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> if he was anyway. if he was
2: going to advise us, then I would suggest perhaps he came with a coaching approach. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
1: Okay, just let me continue on this trajectory for for probably a couple of more minutes. What do you think is the color of money?
2: Oh, I think these days it depends on the color of your credit card. <laughs> 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 yeah. Money is multicolored, multicolored, isn't it? Every country you go to has different colored money. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I I relate that with you know the the color of the bank statement that I get because it's all digital now.
2: That, yes, indeed. Right?
1: <laughs> and 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 one last one. Let me let me just ask you one last. Childish question. You're an elephant. You can't sell it. You can't give it away. And you are living in your apartment. What will you do with that?
2: I'm given an elephant. Elephants, and I'm and I'm living in my apartment. Crumbs. That's a that's. <laughs> I would take it outside and see if anybody would like a ride on my elephant. And then I would find out what the elephant liked to eat and see if I could find anything to feed it and water it with. I think I'd have to, have to I think I'd have to take it step by, you know, they talk about this thing about, you know, eat the elephant piece by piece. I think I'd have to take it piece by piece and just first of all, I'd yeah, take out, well, it would have to be outside. It wouldn't fit in my apartment. Take outside, feed it, water it and, and see if anybody wants to ride it. And, and then we'd see what happened after that.
1: Uh, so going back to your philosophy of learning through experimentation.
2: Yes, indeed.
1: <laughs> by, the, by the elephants uh, love uh, bananas and sugar cane.
2: Okay, probably quite hard to get hold of sugar cane in Belgium, but I know we can get hold of bananas. So it's coming to the supermarket with me.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, so 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 that's it. Uh, that's it for uh, today, Stella. I don't want to. Uh, bore you further with all these childish, uh, childish questions but any any last few words of advice for our listeners
2: so first of all i thought they were great questions thank you very much i enjoyed those further advice i think just be be open to experimentation be open to ideas and always you know in terms of thinking about learning think about it think about it from your learner's point of view you know what is it they need and what is it in, in kind of linked to them? What is it the organization needs? So what does your learner need to be able to do? And how can you best help them achieve that?
1: Right, brilliant. Thank you, much. thank you very much, Stella. For me, of course, it's not that in the last thirty minutes I've become an expert on the process, but for me, a few very critical takeaways are that as you as you said have the right intent to figure out what the learning outcome has to be. Learning for the sake of learning is irrelevant. Figure out what do you want at the end of it, mm-hmm. right? And with that, figure out an experiment with different ways of delivering that learning to users or people and see what works best for a given setup. So these are for me, the key learnings. Stella, really appreciate your time. Thank you very, very much for sharing your wisdom and sharing your experience with us. I'm sure I'm going to get a, grab a copy of neuroscience and uh, go through this because I, I also have to manage teams and I have to figure out how to coach and how to train them. So I'm going to gra- grab a copy, a copy of that and, and, and see how I can use uh, some of the things that you said in that. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time.
2: Thank you very much. It was a pleasure
0: to talk to oh wow such an amazing episode i never realized uh, there's a science behind learning in an organization as well thanks a lot stella and ajay this episode was quite a fun thanks a lot our listeners to listening to this episode and stay tuned for more such episodes and do share your uh, reviews with us <laughs>